The Midday Program goes on the air. The Rural Radio Network welcomes you to it for Monday. A brand new week in store. All the information you need for your midday. And looks like we're headed into another one of those typical kinds of weeks where we're going to be seeing some possible but scattered showers. We're looking for rain everywhere we can find it, I guess, in a lot of places of the country. I don't even know what a typical week is anymore. What is it? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Yeah. So we're, we're not even going to attempt to define that today. But uh, we are going to tell you what is going on, first of all, in the ag world with Jesse Harding. Some big news coming out of Mexico. They are now going to, going to allow for higher blends of ethanol, which is good for Nebraska ethanol and corn producers. We'll get more about what that will look like for Mexico. Also going to get some information about bacterial leaf rake in corn, and also the Lancaster County Farm Bureau is going to host an antique tractor and car show in Lincoln this week. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. So you'll get all the pertinent details there. For the 1219, Bruce Gorder is with a channel agronomist, Jim Irwin, discussing northeast Nebraska in the growing season that they have had thus far. And this week is National Pollinator Week. So, National Pollinator. There is such a yes, week. Yes, it is. And uh-huh. it's this week. And Susan Littlefield is going to be joined with Val Delcini. He is the president and CEO of the Pollinator Partnership, talking about the importance of the pollinator that we know so much in the agriculture industry. And then for the 117, I am joined with Andrew Uden. He is co-founder of Quantified Ag. And they have ear tags for cattle to help determine diseases, possible diseases ahead of time, possible sick animals ahead of time, then you might be able to look at the cow and see that it's sick or not. And so he's going to discuss their product and how new technology is helping those cattle producers. All right. Very good. Pollinators. I've got to go back to pollinators. So we're not talking about the birds and the bees. We're just talking about the bees today. Yes. And the butterflies. Just wanted to make sure that this stays a family program. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Jason Jorgensen on sports. We'll talk to College World Series. Two more games are on tap. Cal State Fullerton plays Florida State in an elimination game this afternoon at 1 Central. The night matchup could be a good one as you have top-seeded Oregon State against LSU. That one starts at 6. Also, the momentum continues to build for Nebraska's 2018 football recruiting class. They landed another highly sought-after receiver yesterday, which is good. It would be nice if they could balance this class out a little bit with some big, tough dudes inside. But uh, there are plenty of... uh, talented receivers who want to come to Lincoln and play for head coach Mike Riley. We will tell you more about Joshua Moore. They're replacing the field turf at UNK. It was due to be updated after 13 seasons. We'll give you the lowdown on that. And the Royals remained red hot over the weekend. They have climbed back into contention, albeit against some bad teams on the West Coast. (laughs) See how they fare tonight at home as they start a series with Boston. Well, a W is still a W. True, and momentum is momentum. So after the April they had, they they needed something to turn around. All right, very good. Well, it's good to know about about that up at uh, Foster Field. Mm. They, They put smaller schools put a lot of wear on their AstroTurf. Yeah. All right, time to go to Bob Brogan here on business. Stocks are drifting a little bit higher. Uh, Some of the headlines that we're watching: uh, the government can't refuse to register offensive trademarks. So that's one of the things being looked at. Also, tech CEOs are meeting at the White House today, so some uh, high-level talks taking place about that. All this and more on today's Midday. Time to check in with 
Paul Perkins in our regional ag weather. Temperatures are going to be fairly nice today and warming up tomorrow. Here is the weather brought to you by Coolman Repair. Yeah, it's, uh, enjoying some low humidity once again across the area. Those dew points at a pretty comfortable 50 degree mark. Still some patchy clouds this morning especially from about North Platte and points to the northwest on into the Panhandle, and also near some light rain that continues to be on a very scattered basis in central Nebraska, right from about Joaqu- or central Kansas, right from about Joaquini to Russell, but nothing too much in the way of major precipitation. Skies eventually becoming more and more sunny today as we see some high pressure push in from the west, that high pressure pushing in from the west with that northwest flow, keeping temperatures seasonably cool with some low humidity. High pressure moves overhead for tonight. That'll clear your skies and keep those winds nearly calm. That high pressure will be off to the southeast tomorrow. Also, a warm front lifting north, and here comes some warmer air and more humid air, so the humidity does start to return. Big ridge of high pressure expanding northeast out of the desert southwest Wednesday gives us at least one day of hot temperatures, but it's not going to last long. We will see some cooler conditions on Thursday, but one hot day expected on Wednesday. Some isolated to scattered thunderstorms are possible Throughout the week here with some weak passing disturbances, tomorrow night through Wednesday night, few of those could be on the severe side. A better or decent risk of some severe storms late on Thursday as a weak cool front drops south through the region. Behind that front, much cooler air, clouds, and some off and on rain and thunderstorm chances will keep it cool for late June standards Friday into the weekend. Now in our long term, temperatures for Nebraska, uh, for Nebraska rather, are forecast to be cooler than normal to near normal or right around seasonal this weekend through the 2nd of July. That better chances of being cooler than normal going to come this weekend in Nebraska. Through early next week, Kansas temperatures, though, expected to be near normal or seasonal the entire time from this weekend through July 2nd. Nebraska's precipitation forecast predicts near normal to below normal precipitation this weekend into July 2nd. Kansas likely to trend near normal to wetter than normal this weekend through the second. Weather factors in the market today include rain from the western Midwest for today. While it's dry in the eastern Midwest, mainly dry conditions for the northern plains and also some light showers for the southern plains for the beginning of the week. Rainy weather will prevail across the eastern third of the U.S., Localized areas along the Gulf Coast could see some much higher totals as a potential tropical system approaches or reaches the coast during the middle to late part of the week. Western states look to be rain very dry and also little or no rain expected in much of the western two-thirds of the U.S. Extreme heat going to prevail through the weekend, this upcoming weekend in California and the desert southwest with record-setting heat likely. Some examples include Death Valley. Their forecast high expected to be 120 or better the next seven days. Not just a few days, but the next seven days. And as high as 127. They hit 124 yesterday. Phoenix will see highs up around 120 tomorrow and both Wednesday. And their average high for this time of year is 104. The light showers in the Midwest look to be beneficial after some recent heat and dryness. Temperatures will be near to above normal the middle part of the week and then cool towards the weekend. The recent widespread rain in the Midwest has improved the topsoil moisture for the corn and soybean development. Not much relief on the way in the northern plains for their dryness issues. Only some light rain indicated today and Wednesday for eastern areas. Just some scattered rain is in the forecast for the southern plains today. Otherwise, it will be mainly dry, which will be helpful for the wheat harvest. The week will start cooler than normal in the southern plains, but then 
turn hotter tomorrow and Wednesday. Ag weather brought to you by Kuhlman Repair. And uh, one thing caught my ear there. I really want to live in a place <laughs> where the average for this time of year is 104. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Man. Yes. And then, you know, yeah. And then when you have this record setting heat, like they're yeah. talking, and now, of course, they've been talking about people getting on their bucket list. They want to experience the heat in Death Valley, and it's going to be a prime week for this week for that. <laughs> okay, well, we'll we'll keep the uh, we'll keep the emergency unit crews on standby. <laughs> exactly. Holy Make smokes. sure your AC is working. <laughs> Very good. Okay, and when you need weather anytime, krbn.com. Look at agriculture information on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. The Mexican Energy Regulatory Commission announced recently a change that will increase the maximum amount of ethanol that can be blended in Mexican gas supplies from 5.8% to 10%. And this is except in cities on Monterey, Guadalajara, and Mexico City. The change comes as part of an ongoing energy reform in Mexico and follows input from stakeholders in the government, private sector, research scientists, and social interest groups. Growth Energy CEO Emily Score says, and I quote, we're strongly encouraged by this announcement, which clears the way for further adoption of ethanol into the Mexican fuel supply, end of quote. Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts and local leaders celebrated the groundbreaking of Costco's first ever poultry processing plant, hatchery, and feed mill facility in Fremont. Chad Moyer was there and has more. Projected to open in April 2019, the $300 million project is expected to generate an overall economic impact of $1.2 billion annually and create between 800 and 1,000 new jobs. Governor Pete Ricketts says today's groundbreaking highlights what's to come. Good-paying jobs, more opportunity for local farmers, and the all-important expansion of value-added agriculture in our state. And then the grower network, 120 farmers who will be able to diversify their revenue stream by putting up these bars. That's a big deal because it creates another income stream for our farmers and certainly one of the things we've seen with low commodity prices, that is going to be welcome news for the area. And it will help us keep our young farmers in the area, giving them more economic opportunity to come back to the farm. The Lincoln Premium Poultry Facility will utilize the latest in technology in processing an expected 2 million chickens a week for sale in Costco stores. I'm Chad Moyer reporting. One corn disease is starting to show up in parts of south-central Nebraska. Let's get more from Joe Gangwish. As you take a look around central Nebraska crops, things look pretty good from the road, but Nebraska Extension plant pathologist Tamara Jackson-Zim says bacterial leaf streak beginning to show up now in corn, and producers should not mistake this for something else. And as far as looking for it, this is important. Since it does look like some other diseases, I want to make sure people are out there looking for the right thing. And so this disease is one that causes narrow streaks between the veins. And it usually starts on the lower leaves, at least early in the season. We'll see it start on those lower leaves. And the streaks can be short, they can you know, be an inch or less long, or they can be very long and several inches and even the entire length of the leaf. And often when you hold those leaves up and you backlight them with the sun, it might even look a little bit yellow. Jackson Zim says not much can be done to mitigate the disease to reduce its severity. She says the bacteria overwinters very well and can be helped along each year by the weather conditions. It really likes the heat and humidity. Make sure you contact your agronomist or local extension office if you think you have bacterial leaf streak on your fields. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Joe Gangwish. 
This summer, the Kansas Department of Agriculture will be the first state in the nation to launch a comprehensive volunteer corp to address agriculture emergency response. The Kansas Agriculture Emergency Response Corp will be made up of volunteers representing a broad range of skills, will be trained and prepared to respond rapidly and efficiently to agriculture emergencies. The KDA needs skilled, dedicated citizens from many different backgrounds, possessing a wide range of proficiencies to be members of this volunteer corps. More information about this and other stories can be found by visiting RollRadio.com. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Not everyone received rain this week. Much of uh, northeast Nebraska is very dry, according to Jim Irwin, channel agronomist. He runs northern uh, Nebraska from about Valentine on east in the northeast part of the state. And I asked him for a crop condition report. I would say it's fair at the best. Uh, A lot of corn and soybeans, well, a lot of corn was planted into uh, wetter soils and now we've had nothing but uh, 20 days i think of no rain and a lot of heat and wind so those soils are dried out the top a couple three inches have dried out now and kind of turned like concrete and our true v's are starting to open up and so uh, we're getting a lot of uh, corn that uh, basically doesn't have any root systems so with uh, those conditions what is your uh, weed situation like up there uh, you know, when it gets hot and dry like this, the weeds, weeds grow a little bit more slowly. Uh, so right now the weeds, weeds are okay, uh, but weeds like mare's tail that like the heat, uh, a lot of the herbicides didn't work real well early on this year. One, we had a lot of moisture and cold temperatures, and now that the temperatures are warming up, and then in those areas where they did get some rain, all of a sudden they're getting regrowth on some of those uh, weeds like uh, like uh, water hemp and uh, mare's tail, and now the farmers are out trying to, to fight those those weeds that are coming back again. So what are you telling your growers at this point? What are they? What could they be doing? Uh, right now, uh, what we're telling them on, on the on the where you do have pivots uh, to water, go ahead and water, get those plants going. Uh, as far as uh, controlling weeds, you got to get out there. We got to get them early. The regrowth; uh, these these weeds have really got to be stopped at uh, four inches or less. Uh, once they get past that in this hot weather, it's going to be really difficult to uh, stop to stop and control them. So, with these dry, hot conditions in your uh, part of the state, what about disease pressure? Anything uh, showing up already? Yeah, a little bit. There's some bacterial leaf streak. The new bacterial disease uh, is starting to show up. Since it's a bacterial, it's not really, uh, you know, heat sensitive in sense. Uh, so that is starting to show up a little bit. Uh, diseases like uh, what we'll be having here in the next few weeks, I would assume, would be like gray leaf spot, the fungal diseases of uh, gray leaf spot and northern corn leaf blight. They like a little more moderate temperature in the mid-80s and a little bit more humidity. So uh, right now, as far as diseases in corn, the only one we've seen so far is the bacterial leaf streak. In soybeans, I think you might start seeing some Phytophthora start showing up. It likes it a little bit more moderate, too, but it likes warmer temperatures. So those are a couple of them that uh, we really need to uh, be watching as we move forward. And we did get a lot of wind earlier this uh, this season. And, you know, it's kind of cut up the corn plants very well. So gosses on the corn-on-corn situation may be a disease that we're going to have to be watching. 
So what's the course of action if some of these diseases start to show up? Well, if you have a fungal, if, if, if you have a fungus uh, like uh, gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf fly, uh, you'll just have to spray accordingly with either, you know, curative and a preventative uh, type of uh, fungicide. Uh, of course, the gosses wilt really can't do anything about that. Uh, it is a bacterial. There's really nothing that will control it, but just monitor those fields. Comments from Jim Irwin, channel agronomist. He runs northern and northeast Nebraska from about Valentine on east. He said it is still very dry. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to the Midday Program on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgenden. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, the College World Series is off and running in Omaha. There are two games on tap today. That elimination game takes place at 1 Central as Cal State Fullerton plays Florida State. Winner's bracket matchup tonight should be a good one as Oregon State plays LSU at 6 Central. The momentum continues to build for NU's 2018 football recruiting class. Yesterday, the Huskers landed one of the top targets on their board with the addition of wide receiver Joshua Moore from Texas. He is considered to be a four-star recruit, and ESPN ranks him as the fifth-best receiver in the country. NU now has seven verbal commitments from players ranked in ESPN's top 300. His commitment pushes the Huskers into ESPN's top 10 ratings for this class. Cope Stadium is getting new field turf this summer in Kearney. Mobilization and site work started today. The new turf installation is expected to be completed in four to six weeks, just in time for early August. The new field covers over 100,000 square feet and features a blue and white Loper logo at midfield. The end zones include the words Nebraska and Kearney, both the north and the south ends. And the playing surface will have the markings for football and soccer. UNK has played on turf since 2004 when Foster Field transitioned away from grass. The life expectancy of artificial turf is 8 to 10 years. After 13 seasons, the school said the surface had deteriorated to the point where it was no longer performing to industry expectations. Mike Moustakis and the Kansas City Royals return home after going 7-2 and two on their California road trip and scoring at least 7 runs in 6 of those games, bolstered by 18 homers. Moustakis has 19 RBIs this month. He had a big hit yesterday in the win, and he talks about how things have come together. Playing really good baseball, swinging the bats well, playing good defense, and uh, you know, been throwing the ball fantastic. And uh, again tonight, Jason, or today, Jason did a great job for us. On the mound, Jason Hamill faces Boston for the first time since 2013 tonight. Hamill has allowed just one run in each of his last two starts. And if you missed it yesterday, it was quite the Father's Day for Brooks Kepka. He carded three straight birdies on the back nine and closed with a 5-under-67 to win the U.S. Open by four strokes. His 16-under total ties U.S. Open record set by Roy McIlroy and gives him his first major championship. Now, Justin Thomas shot a 75 to finish eight shots back after his record-setting 9-under-63 performance on Saturday. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly sunny today with a high near 84. Northwest winds at 10 to 15. For tonight, mostly clear with a low of around 57. And then for tomorrow... A high of 91, light and variable winds at 5 to 10. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. The deadliest time for young teen drivers to be on the road is the period between Memorial Day and Labor Day. 
and what some safety advocates have dubbed the 100 deadly days of summer. Rose White, public affairs director for AAA Nebraska, the Auto Club Group, talks about what makes this period of time so dangerous. New teen drivers ages 16 to 17 years old, they're three times as likely as adults to be involved in a deadly crash. Now, teen crashes spike during the summer months because teens are out of school and on the road and have more time to socialize, and their inexperience paired with greater exposure on the road creates that deadly combination. White also says the number of fatal teen vehicle crashes rises 15% during this period compared to the rest of the year. A woman who took a plea deal at a Butler County crash deaths has been given three years of probation and some jail time. Court records say 55-year-old Diane Hitz was sentenced last week. She pleaded no contest to felony vehicular homicide after prosecutors dropped related drunk driving and reckless driving counts. Prosecutors say the Columbus woman was drunk and was driving nearly 100 miles an hour on May 2, 2015, when her vehicle rammed the rear of a motorcycle south of Columbus, killing 51-year-old Michael Gross of Duncan. Hitz was given 78 days in jail to be served immediately and credited for one day already served. Then for three years, she must serve two days starting on the anniversary of Gross's death and the date of his birth. Construction is set to begin in the Fremont area on a $300 million Lincoln Premium Poultry Chicken Plant. At Monday's groundbreaking, Fremont Mayor Scott Getchman praised those who worked to locate the plant in the area and was appreciative of the input from local citizens. During the public hearing process, we heard testimony for and against this project. And because of this testimony and considerable due diligence done by Costco and Lincoln Premium Poultry, the citizens of Fremont can rest assured that this will be a safe and environmentally friendly project. Projected to open in April of 2019, the project is expected to generate an overall economic impact of $1.2 billion annually, create approximately 800 new jobs, and connect Costco to a dedicated network of producers in eastern Nebraska. As the severe storm season moves in, remember, the Weather Watch never sleeps. In the News Center, I'm Scott Foster. A week that's set aside to focus on pollinators. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. It is officially Pollinator Week. Now it's a time to celebrate pollinators and spread the word about what you can do to help protect them. Ten years ago, the U.S. Senate's unanimous approval and designation of this week as National Pollinator Week marks a necessary step toward addressing the urgent issue of declining pollinator populations. I caught up with Val Dolcini, who is president and CEO of the Pollinator Partnership. You know, Pollinator Week has been around now for a number of years, and it's usually something that the U.S. Department of Agriculture gets involved with. And this year we'll have proclamations from nearly every governor in the United States uh, noting that this is Pollinator Week. And I think that it symbolizes a national interest in pollinator health and habitat and conservation issues. You know, one out of every three bites of food is positively uh, benefited by the activity of a pollinator. It could be a managed honeybee, or it could be uh, a native bee, or it could be a butterfly. There are lots of pollinators out there that are working to, you know, make sure that both our wildlands and our working lands uh, have what they need to produce our food, fuel, and fiber. So I think that the hive that the vice president's wife, Mrs. Pence, has put uh, out on the grounds of the Naval Observatory is just a great example of how 
Americans can be involved in their own backyards to ensure that pollinator health issues are front and center in the conversation that we're all having around our food systems. You know, Michelle Obama had hives on the White House garden when uh, she was living there, and many millions of Americans around the nation have hives in their own backyards, and they're either, you know, selling the honey that's produced or eating it themselves or sharing it with neighbors and so I think this is a great thing. Do you think, Val, that there's, a, there's become a new interest and in, uh, revitalization, shall we say, of the pollinator industry, not only from, from the perspective of maybe having the pollinators, but planting for pollinators? Well, certainly, you know, I think people are more aware of, you know, planting things in their own yards that attract pollinators and provide the kind of forage for pollinators that are so critical. You know, we... Uh, many of us live in urban environments, and you don't always think about those places as being pollinator-friendly, but you know, whether you're in an urban environment or a suburban or more rural environment, I think there's always room to uh, either host a hive in your backyard, and some folks can't do that, but you can certainly plant a nice pollinator garden, and we at the Pollinator Partnership are a part of a coalition called the Million Pollinator Garden Network, and we've got, uh, you know, organizations and folks all over the country who are planting pollinator-friendly flowers in their backyard to draw the bees and the butterflies and other pollinators in. Uh, during Pollinator Week, I'm going to go up to New York City where we're going to light the Empire State Building uh, on the 26th with yellow and black lighting there to signify Pollinator Week. The following week, I'm going to go up to Niagara Falls with some of our Canadian staff, and they're actually going to light Niagara Falls, the color of honeybees, too. So there's a lot of interest around the globe, truly, and certainly here in North America, in making sure that we're all doing what we can to maintain a good environment for pollinators, whether they're managed honeybees or native pollinators, and to create the kind of habitat and forage that's so essential for these hardworking uh, little animals. And not to mention the fact that it makes your yard look so much more beautiful, having those different <laughs> flower beds. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there are multiple uh, benefits in planting a nice pollinator garden, not the least of which, of course, is just the aesthetic beauty. But uh, it's really critical. And I think, you know, when we look, step back a little bit and look more broadly at these kinds of issues around conservation and environmental protection, it's really essential that, uh, you know, we look at bees as kind of the canary in the coal mine. We look at them in, in the sense of a healthy pollinator population is going to represent, uh, you know, a lot of local and regional biodiversity, and that creates a more healthy, you know, natural ecosystem, both for production agriculture, certainly, which relies on pollinators, certainly my, my home state of California, uh, grows all kinds of things that uh, wouldn't succeed without a uh, hard-working honeybee, like the almonds, for example. But it's something that, um, you know, really represents a commitment that we all share, I think, towards a healthy environment and a healthy and productive working landscape. Well, we here in Nebraska have seen in the last couple of weeks extensive amount of semis moving in uh, from the south that are carrying yep. honeybee colonies headed north to find new grounds for the, for the summertime. They really move them all over the nation. You know, there are bees that winter in the Dakotas and then are brought down to California early in the calendar year to begin the process of pollinating the orchards in the Great Central Valley. And, you know, then those bees might go to Texas or perhaps Florida. So there's always 
you know, a semi loaded with beehives moving around the nation. And, you know, there have been real challenges with bee health issues. And that's something that the Pollinator Partnership and many other organizations have been very involved in. Uh, we're a group that's led by good sound science. And I really want to make sure that we're continuing to um, be at the conversation, you know, at the table, if you'll pardon the pun, to, you know, further a conversation around good scientific outcomes for pollinators, both native and managed. That is Val Dolcini. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. Back on the World Radio Network and joining us, Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Okay, the, uh, I guess you want to call it the volatility. It's still there in these futures. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, and uh, I've said it before, and I'll reiterate that uh, it's probably not going to go away anytime soon. So uh, today, another one of those days where we were uh, triple-digit losses right straight across in the cattle. Uh, didn't matter uh, a little bit uh, lighter in the uh in the live cattle than in the feeders where they were over $2 lower. But uh, I guess uh, if you take it percentage-wise, about the same. But uh, it really due to the uh, the uh, large drop in cash last week and the cutouts coming down, uh, it just it put a lot of pressure on today. The, the one thing I, I can see right now, though, is we're not that far away from uh, the expiration in the uh, June cattle, and it's still a pretty good discount. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't uh, see that kind of uh, slow down uh, in its descent and even uh, maybe even catch a rally. Uh, markets are getting over pretty good oversold, and uh, I think maybe we could see uh, some sort of a bounce here in the next couple days. Over in the hogs, uh, cash leading the way once again. Cash very strong. Uh, up again, uh, uh, and that uh, continues to uh, pull the uh, futures right along with it. Uh, we are kind of closing that gap now as the uh, index has, has really jumped. So uh, another uh, strong day, triple digit gains there. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal can be reached at Great Plains Commodities, 800-328-0134. I'm Dewey Nelson. One business in Nebraska is creating new technologies to help the cattle industry. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. With me is Andrew Uden, co-founder of Quantified Ag. Andrew, why don't we start out with telling us a little bit about the business. We're a data analytics precision livestock company. We make uh, biometric sensors for the backgrounding and cattle feeding industry. The sensors collect biometric data on the animal, send it into a receiver periodically throughout the day. From there, we take the data to the cloud and perform machine learning and analytics on the data to help producers make better decisions around animal health and disease prevention. How does this all play out for the producer and what does it look like for them and what they're able to do? So for the producer, it's just a simple app that would have a list of sick animals or animals that we have flagged as sick, or even um, we can send it to them a text message or email, however they want to receive that data. But it's very simple, very intuitive of these are the animals you need to pay attention to, these are the animals that need to go to the hospital and get inspected. So with this ear tag that the cattle are able to wear, what is the data that it's pulling through? 
So some of that's proprietary. The, the big things we're looking at are inner ear canal temperature and activity of the animal. So we use an accelerometer to measure various activity points pretty much on a continuum. So rather than a pen rider looking at an animal for a few seconds every day, we are going to be looking at animals 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. How accurate is this that you found out to really help that producer out? So we're still just finishing up clinical trials right now, uh, testing for different disease pathogens and loads. But we're seeing that we're typically a few days ahead of clinical observation. uh, And and within that, we are identifying things that clinical observation often misses. So I would say at this point, I don't want to make a claim that we are better than a human being, but I would say uh, we're at least as accurate as a human being and we're accurate in a more preventative approach. As you are continuing to do research, look at the data, how long-term might this help the producer in the long-term, especially when it comes to the cost-effectiveness as well, too? So we're trying to create a very low-cost system, and uh, every, it seems like every month we're in business, our cost comes down. So we're trying to help the producer find a system that, for what they spend, they're going to get more, uh, more than that out of it and potentially uh, even double their money on that investment. So long-term, we're looking at efficiency, definitely in uh, antibiotic usage and not having to use mass treatments and metaphylaxis, but using precision antibiotics when they're needed to stop outbreaks, to stop secondary infections. Uh, And we're also looking at things like heat stress in the animals because we're collecting temperature on these animals all the time. So we can look at heat events and how to better monitor the animals individually in pens and in lots and which lots are being the most stressed during that time. And when it comes to the cattle, what have you found thus far that it can help them in that way and hope to see in the future as well? So I think in the future we'd like to see this go to more true precision management of the animals, looking at not only preventative medicine and lesser use of antibiotics, but we'd like to really see it go down to individual animal management from an intake perspective, from a feed perspective, uh, and just from an animal husbandry and care perspective. We have a story to tell if we're going to increase beef demand in this country and we're going to increase our access to foreign markets and showing people that we're putting uh, Fitbits on cattle, so to speak, certainly sends a message to our consumer base that we care about our animals uh, and we care about the efficiency of our system. If someone's looking for more information about Quantified Ag or wants to learn more, what's the best avenue? They can go to quantifiedag.com. We've been talking with Andrew Uden, co-founder of Quantified Ag. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we check in with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and Craig Turner. Craig, let's look at this market. We certainly were lower in the corn all session, but we really fell right at the end, and that brought soybeans down too, didn't it? Yeah, everything ended up uh, pretty much looking like it was in the red. Uh, Corn was down all day, and that had a lot to do with uh, spread unwinding. You know, there's been a big position of short wheat long corn. We saw a big exit, I think, on that in the spread market. Uh, And then with you know, beans coming down, you know, a lot of traders know that the, the crop conditions are coming out here not, and not too, uh, not too far away after the close on Monday. Uh, and really what the idea is, you know, the good to excellent ratings may stay steady or even improve a little bit. Um, we can even see that for the Minneapolis suite, which has been the big driver in the market. So I think that overhang, over, just that overhang on the market all day, we were talking about it. And then we saw the, you know, basically they're, they were selling into the close. We've had rains in parts of the corn and soybean belt, and it seems weather is still a driving force here. 
It certainly is. You look at the the models, the U.S. and the European models. Um, you know, it's gonna it'll be a little bit cooler in the temperature and the rains. You know, we will get we'll get some, but not a lot. You know, unless we go from a cooler weather to hotter, or that precipitation really dries up, we'll probably be choppy for a while. Um, and what's gonna you know, and based on what the the crop conditions are. And something that was kind of left out today were the outside market influences. Were they even providing any type of impact? I don't think they were. I mean, I know, um, you know, the, the market's really been trading on one, really on the weather. You know, demand isn't, isn't a big deal in terms of the supply and demand table. So it's been all about the weather. We're trying to estimate where we are in the crop right now. You know, for instance, corn, a lot of people think we're at 165. 167 on a national yield. We're going to get those good to excellent. And when we're talking about supply shifts like that, where it could be a couple hundred million bushels either way, you're just not going to see the outside markets affected too much. And we got something going on a week from Friday, and that's June 30th. That'll be an important report. Absolutely. You know, we'll see the acreage. We're also, uh, you know, that'll be the big one. And, you know, how much it comes down. You know, there is expectation that corn is going to come down a little bit. Soybeans will go up. The corn number is probably the most interesting just because if we are losing some bushels, uh, you know, on the national yield and we lose a million acres, you know, all of a sudden we can be lopping off three to 400 million bushels on estimates. And having a 2.1 billion carryout for 1.7 is a big deal. Thanks, Craig. Craig Turner. Daniels Ag Marketing. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. I'm Dewey Nelson.